Hi, and welcome to Renton Christian Center's recorded ministries. As members of the body of Christ, we offer love and encouragement to everyone. As Pastor Alex leads us through God's Word, we hope you will be lifted and filled with joy as we open our hearts and minds to the love of Jesus and the hope He gives us all. Now here's Pastor Alex. Thank you, Lord. What a great day. When I was about 19 years old, I was uh, in the hamburger flipping business. My first, first job was Jack in the Box. Second job was Carl's Jr. Third job was Del Taco. Back in those days, they do burgers and tacos. My fourth job was Carl. Did I say Carl's already? Yeah. Carl, okay, my fourth job was Jack's Burgers. Independent store, single owner, only business he owned, Jack's Burgers. It's kind of in the seedy part of Santa Ana, California. Kind of one of those old sort of, I don't know, 40s and 50s ambiance kind of places, and the owner looked like he was in his prime in the 40s and 50s. And this was now in the 70s, and uh, he was looking run down, the restaurant was looking run down. It was just a little kind of a stand, you know. And um, so I and actually my sister Jody both got a job there at about the same time, and she worked a window and I cooked. I flipped the burgers and did the fries and everything. And we were only there for a couple of days, ah, three, four, five days, seemed like a week, maybe. And Jack had decided, you know, in order to drum up business, he had a new manager. The new manager said, you know what you need to do? You need to put out a two-for-one coupon. You'll get people coming in. And so he did that. He put it in the newspaper, his little cutout, you know, two burgers for the price of one. And the day finally arrived, beginning of the sale, and I remember being absolutely stunned. The line was like out to the street, just walk-ups. And, and both Judy and I were really still novices at this, Jody in particular had not done much. I sort of like got her the job, you know, like, hey man, I've been doing this three years. This is like the gig you want, you know. <laughs> so she's working the counter, and I'm working the burgers, and suddenly this line is growing and growing and growing and growing. Two for one, two for one, two for one, two for one. So it's just an insane amount of people. Meanwhile, manager, not owner, but manager, forgot his name. I seem to have like a, a pharmaceutical issue. He was on, <laughs> you know what I mean? He was just kind of like, kind of walking around like this most of the time. But when he saw the crowds come into his window, he just hid in his office. He just disappeared. So it was just two of us. There's not even a third person doing drinks or fries or anything else. And we were completely swamped to the point where people are now getting mad. It's taking forever for their food to come out. They're just getting angry. They're just getting you know, upset. And they finally just, someone just walked away and said, forget this, you guys are just stupid. What, who do you think you are? You're not doing it. Anyway, they're absolutely frustrated. It became very, very clear that neither the owner nor the manager were, were really up for this, and we were certainly under-equipped and under-prepared. There's no way two people could manage that many people, and, and even if you could, there, were just too, there was just too much work for two, even if we were highly skilled. So the following weekend, my friend called me and said, hey, Alex, we got a 10-day trip to Mexico <laughs> surfing. You wanna come? I didn't even have to think twice about it. I was on shift Saturday afternoon till about midnight, you know, like three to 12, it was kind of like my shift, you know. I didn't even call, I was already gone, I was across the border. I didn't even call and say, hey boss, I quit. I just quit. 
You see, what happened in my heart was when I saw the level of commitment that the owner had toward his business and the manager had toward his employees, I said, if you're going to be casual, baby, I'm going to be casual. And I want to tell you something. That's what Christians can be like too. If you're not around people who love Jesus more than you, you and I, we're all the same. We will just become a little more casual. And when the call comes in, baby, we're on it. I'm out of here. I don't really want to be that saved. I'd rather just go do something fun. This is too hard, man, if I have a choice. So when we talk about membership in a local church, covenanting with one another because we've covenanted with God that he's assigned us to this family of believers, it's not enough just to sign our names on a dotted line. It's a heart decision as well to continue growing in that commitment to God and to one another. Because there's always this tension pulling us back to just want, I just want to be a little more casual, please, God. I'm just getting tired. And plus, what about me? You know, we just have all this, this kind of magnetic desire and need kind of in the human, natural, fleshy sort of level of living that's warring against that hunger and increasing thirst for God and commitment to one another. So that's why we not only want to talk about membership in a body, we want to talk about maturity. In fact, if you, if you think about the, uh, the three things that we're going to be talking through in this whole series about the fact that we're better together, why our family matters, is because, number one, We've got to be members. There's got to be a serious commitment. Not casual, but serious. Not legalistic, not prison, but a serious commitment. I understand. It's kind of like marriage. You know, I'm doing this because I want to. I've heard the Lord say, and I want to. But we also want to continue to grow in maturity. And if we can do those two things, we're growing together, we're growing personally, then it really makes sense to think about ministry. So that when we do go out or come out on trunk or treat night, when the community, the unbelievers, those who aren't church, or those who've been in the church in the past but aren't anymore for whatever reason, we're not going to wreck them. Make sense? Ministry should happen because we've made commitments to God and one another and commitment to personal growth. If you've done that, in fact, on our worship team, we have a policy. If anybody's struggling up here with, you know, some kind of bad habit or sin or an event that they got sucked into and now regret. Kevin and I have a policy. Hey, if you've repented and you're getting help and you're moving forward, you can stay on the team. We're not going to kick you out because you had a failure. Join the human race. I, I would have stopped pastoring 33 years ago if that were the case. But if you repent and you're working on your stuff, gosh, you're qualified because we're all in the same boat. We can minister because we're moving toward him in our personal lives. So I want to talk this morning about maturity. Well, let's take a look at what those are. Membership, remember that? That's what we talked about last Sunday, agreeing on our beliefs. We have this basic Bible understanding and we buy into it wholeheartedly. Not the minor stuff, but the major stuff. Secondly, we're going to commit to maturity, which means simply loving Jesus more than I love myself. That's a simple definition of what it means to be a mature Christian. It's not some high and holy place that you've arrived at. No, since you continue to recognize there's a battle between my flesh and my new nature. And then finally, ministry is simply finding my place in his kingdom and his, his mission and 
what he's here for and what he came to earth for. So that'll be the series that we're on. And this morning, I always want to talk about maturity. What is that all about? What is Christian maturity? That's the first question we need to ask. Now, before we do that, let's read the Bible. Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. Paul is talking about the fact that he has been captured by the love of God, and in response, he's now growing in love back to God. He's trying to just move forward. And and then he says right before this, he goes, I'm not there yet. I haven't attained it. And so in verse 13 of Philippians 3, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And then here's the key, verse 15. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. If you're calling yourself mature, the way we define maturity, Paul says, is that you're pressing in. You're pressing in. You haven't arrived, but you're working on it. You're trying hard. You're serious about it. You're, you're actually going, I can be better than this. And that's really all. It's an attitude that's acted out. That's the definition for maturity. What I love about this word here in the Greek, it's actually from the word telos. We get our word telescope from it. What do you do with a telescope? Remember those? First of all, you go... You fully extend it to get maximum vision for the greatest distance. And that's exactly what telos, this word mature, means. It means you're extending something to its complete limit. It's all the way out as far as it can go. And so when you think about Christian maturity, who is the most mature Christian you've ever heard of? Jesus, thank you. Yeah. You're trying to think of Billy Graham, Mother Teresa, I'm not quite sure. No, it's Jesus, of course. He lived to the full extent of his father's character and nature. He was absolutely perfect and mature. Which, by the way, will happen to you and I the moment we die and see him face to face. Boom! Instant maturity. I wish we could do that on earth. That would be nice. But that's not going to happen until we see him. But until then, what God is calling us to, what what Paul is saying, press into this desire to, to get to the full extent. Like, stretch yourself out to the entire boundary of who you are in Christ. That's what maturity is. It just means I'm just leaning in that direction every chance I get. So if we're called to be mature, then it sounds like kind of an ongoing stretching, an ongoing push. And I've been a Christian for a long time. Some of you have too. And and let's be honest, doesn't that get kind of tiring sometimes? (laughs) It does. (laughs) can I just not be a Christian today, God? I get up in the morning going, I just want to kind of go back to my old days, you know, when I had no cares, I could do anything I wanted, but didn't really know any better, and that was good, ignorance was bliss. There's always a temptation, and so mature Christians aren't ones who've already arrived, they're ones who recognize that push back, and they go, "Uh uh-uh, been there, done that. It's not good. So let's, let's kind of do a visual aid. I love pictures because I'm a kind of a pictorial learner and I, I really think that if you see things, it'll kind of help maybe put a new spin on things. That last part of the definition, by the way, is take it away from the telescope image and go to the human 
side of things is the com consummate human integrity and virtue. And the King James actually interprets that word as perfect. Be perfect. Okay, so let's kind of take a look at, as a visual aid. Now, when a human is born, they're just human. They're not spirit yet. They're not born again. You can't be born again until you recognize um, and have the intelligence to understand sin and God and Jesus dying on the cross. It's called the age of accountability. For some kids, it happens as early as five. Others, as late as 10 years old. It's probably about the earliest that, that people begin to understand what it means to have a spiritual life. So before any of that happens, all we are, as a product of a man and a woman, is physical, flesh, human beings. So let's kind of put a picture of it like this, okay? You were born. I'm born. Hello, human. Arrived on scene. Okay, and then as we begin to grow, there's not much to us. We're completely, entirely dependent on our parents. We need to be bottle-fed. We can't make milk. We can't go to the fridge and grab a soda. We can't walk around the house and grab some peas and meat and potatoes. We have to be completely bottle-fed by someone else. But we're growing, right? Okay, and then as we grow some more, we suddenly become aware of ourselves. I remember when our girls were like one, one and a half, one, 12, 14 months, somewhere in there, they kind of go, I remember them looking in the mirror like, there's someone there. <laughs> oh my gosh. I mean, literally, we would literally just kind of carry them by the mirror and they just kind of go, I didn't notice anything. And suddenly one day it just like dawned on them, that's me. I'm me. I'm actually, wow. Okay, that's a huge revelation. You become self-aware. Okay, that's part of growth and normal development. And then one of the most powerful changes is after you stop having to bottle feed or spoon feed or even dress or tie shoes, those children become self-sufficient. They can even get their own food. I mean, they can't work, they can't earn a job, they can't create a home or pay rent. But as far as taking care of themselves, independence is a huge move, right? Some of you who are parents today are hoping your 20-year-old will finally get there. <laughs> But that generally, at least on a physical sense, kind of begins around, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years old, something like that. I remember when I, I boiled my first pot of macaroni. I was so proud of myself, man. It was Saturday mornings were our day. We have five kids, you know, in our, um, in our dining room, my parents' day to sleep in. We would just go find the nearest sheet off of our bed, just rip sheets off our bed and throw it over the dining room table and make a fort, okay? That's what they're for. It's Saturday, and that's what you do. And uh, I thought, I'm hungry. I'm sick and tired of cornflakes. I'm making parent food, you know? So I remember finding some macaroni, just throwing it in the water, and I've seen my mom do this. She'd turn on the fire, and I figured five minutes how to do it. <laughs> so I'm scooping it out with a slot of spoon. They're still crunchy as I'll get out, and I go, mmm, let's put butter on this. So anyway, I'm independent now, okay? So you're just kind of growing as a human, and, and it's just natural growth. God, God made us that way. But suddenly, as we get older, maybe junior high, kind of high school, you start thinking about who you want to be and what you're going to be after. Why, why do I get up and want to go play at recess? Why do I get up and want to look at girls? Why do I want, why do I want to play video games, you know? You begin choosing things. That's a huge development. I'm... I'm deciding for myself who I am and what I want to be in life. And there's often, you know, conflict with parents and all that kind of stuff, but when you're 16, 17, 18, now you're out driving a car, you're really directing yourself, going wherever you want to go, 
And when you move out, you have total freedom, self-direction. That's normal development, okay? But it doesn't stop there. What often happens, again, we're only talking about the flesh side of our humanity, okay? Assuming there's no Holy Spirit, no Bible, no parental encouragement to move in a Christian direction. On a natural plane, it's natural. We've actually had this all along since birth, to be self-centered. I'm moving towards food because I want food and I need food. I'm moving towards warmth because I want warmth. So it starts very practical. But now that we're self-directed and independent, we start choosing things that aren't necessary. They're just fun. You know, and so we begin to say, huh, if I want to be a complete person, I look around, oh, Joe's got a brand new car, man. Sally's got a brand new dress, you know, and Bobby's, you know, joined this club and he gets to always go swimming or whatever. And, and we start deciding, I want, I want, I want. Naturally, Humans draw life in. We want things. We want experiences. We want people. There's all, that's just natural to draw things into ourselves, right? Am I right? Okay. That's normal. However, how many of you know self-centeredness, if overdone, can really be bad? I stole things. I wanted something so bad, I stole them. I was in jail for about an hour once for stealing wax from a surfboard. Yeah, I was in jail another time because I wanted to hitchhike home from work even though it was illegal. And then when I got a ticket for that, I didn't want to pay the fine. I wanted to keep my five bucks. That's what the fine was, five dollars. I go, I'm not paying that. <laughs> and so cops found me, pulled me over. By the time I got a car, pulled me over and said, there's a warrant out for your arrest, sir. You're going to jail. Another jail day, four hours. I had to call my boss. I'm in jail. Can you bail me out? Why? Because I wanted to keep, it's just natural to want to keep what you have and get more. That's normal. However, it can turn bad when we become self-centered. And the problem with self-centeredness is when it's not taken care of or recognized, it becomes sinful all the time. Not just survival now, it's all about me. And some of us know some people who are so self-centered, they can't even see how destructive their behavior is toward themselves and people that they love, and probably even you and I. So we have to recognize that when it comes to maturity, this is kind of our natural playing field. It's a battle out there. But praise God. He goes, those are the kind of people I died for. I'm, you're so qualified. I want you. I love that about Jesus. So let's say now this is you and I and we're just kind of, you know, walking through life because everybody else is living the same way and we're just kind of competing to have the most money, the most, you know, power, the most prominence, the best job, whatever it is. We're all doing the same thing so it doesn't seem to be that bad. But when we see the hollowness and the emptiness of how uh, pointless this whole thing is, the dead end, then we start thinking about bigger things. And some of us, hopefully everyone in this room has said, I need help and that help is in Jesus. Amen. I found it in the Word of God, and I found it in the person of Christ. And so something happens. We're born again. Inside of our hearts is now a brand new life. It doesn't make the old person go away, but there's something happening on the inside. It's like, ooh, this vibrancy, man. It's like God. Like, he just wants to blow, you know? And we generally get so excited, we can't believe it, and suddenly we don't want to be bottle-fed from other people. We want to hear from God himself because, like, he captured us. It's real, man. It's, I need to hear from him. 
And so we're just doing everything we can to get the Bible in and Christianity and tapes and sermons and worship, everything, music, everything, just more and more and more. Now that's a kind of self-centeredness, but the self that we're centering on has a name. His name is the Holy Spirit. And he's voracious when it comes to hearing the Father because they are one. They just live together. They can't help but fellowship with one another all the time. Okay, that's just kind of a natural thing about being part of the triune God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're just always in communication. This is happening on the inside. It didn't make the old flesh go away, but it's certainly getting kind of raucous in there. Okay, so as we grow as a Christian then, we become not just self-aware, but spirit-aware. The Bible is having an impact on our thinking. And we start sensing things like when the devil is kind of cruising around and old temptations cruise by, we go, ooh, that was scary. We start becoming aware of sin and temptation. You kind of go, ugh, that used to kill me. I used to like love that. And now I write, that's going to kill me if I go back there. And at first, when you're a young Christian, it's kind of easy to resist old sins. Have you noticed that? It's like, oh, that was so stupid. Why would I do that again? I'm just like rescued here. We become aware of both good and evil. But we continue to grow. And as we grow and begin to yield to the Spirit of God on the inside, and less and less to our old nature, also known as our flesh, we start experiencing freedom. Wow. I used to be addicted to that, and I'm not. So nice. Gosh, I can actually choose what I want to do instead of being pulled along where my sinful nature wants me to go all the time. I, get, I can actually just go, I don't have to do that anymore. I used to, used to be addicted to this, addicted to that. I don't even have to. I'm just free. Hallelujah. Let's go have some fun. Do something else. That is a beautiful place to be. Now that is a point of maturity, wouldn't you say? Many of us have kind of tasted and seen that's, that's where I want to live, man, in the freedom of Christ. The freedom of, I'm not loving Jesus because I have to. I love him because I want to. And I want to obey him because it's, it's so fruitful and so joyful. And then we move even further from freedom to the point where we're beginning to understand, boy, if I die to my old nature and like consider it dead as often as possible, and I'm spirit-directed, it's not just fun and free, it's fruitful. It's like, wow, God uses me to see other people's lives changed. And something I said actually made the difference because it came from God. And I'm like now a vessel, a, a channel for his life. It's like, holy cow, this is like the highest high you can experience as a human. How many of you experienced that before where you were a vessel of God's grace in someone else's life? Is that a thrill or what? It's like, wow, you can't make it happen, but boy, when you're yielded and something occurs, you know that God moved. It's like, wow, I'd like to live there 100% of the time. And then if we continue to grow, suddenly we're Jesus-centered about everything. And suddenly we recognize my self-centeredness is being replaced by Jesus-centeredness, and they are absolutely at war all the time. And I'm understanding how to discern between the two. It's not always clear. It's kind of gray sometimes. Sometimes there's two options that Jesus gives me and neither one are bad. But if I'm really, really making the effort to hear his voice and, and by faith trying to obey him, man, things go great. I don't get it right all the time. But I know that if I go the self-centered route, the old route, me first, it's probably going to crash and burn. I'm not going there. Okay, so we're all in this development process. We're on a journey. If you've been born again, you're somewhere along that journey. But here's the key. 
self-centeredness never goes away. If you don't acknowledge that, let's talk afterwards. We are all still self-centered in our old nature. There's two of us in there. Hello, there's two of you. Hello. That's why you have conversations with yourself all the time. Hmm, should I? Shouldn't I? Should I? Shouldn't I? <laughs> Remember the cartoons of the bad angel and the good angel on the shoulder of the character? That's real. And so we have to acknowledge we're in a battle. And you and I are the prize between God and Satan. God uses our new nature. Satan uses our old nature. And there's constantly a battle. Now here is the kicker. If we don't press on from here, our maturity will plateau. It's at this point when we begin to recognize, I have a choice today. It's another day, 365 of them. Boy, they're monotonous. Man, they never stop coming. Holy, can we just take a breather for a while? But here I am, I woke up one more time, I have to recognize I'm going to have choices between these two natures. It is at that point that I believe Paul said, from here I press on. It's from here I continue to press on. Now why is this so important? Because we have to understand what God is after. Mature Christians are those who see the battle and continue to press for more of Jesus. Remember that word telos. It means extended to its full and complete limit. We want those two hearts to match. So the pink one is exactly the same size as the gray one. In fact, the gray one disappears. That's where we're at today. Now here's the challenge that most of us have. Which takes me to the second part. This is how you define what maturity is. The second question is, why should we want that? What's the whole point? Why not? Look, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's got this old nature. It's all going to be done away with the moment Jesus comes back or I die. It's, it's going to be dead. Why don't you just kind of hang loose for a while? Because immaturity will draw the life of Christ right out of you. Immaturity will draw the life of Jesus right out of us. In fact, I would say it even more forcefully. It will suck the life out of you. It'll just suck the life out of you. You see, the, the thing that a lot of us believe is that we can just kind of hang out in the middle. We're just sort of like, hey, I'm pretty holy. Holier than most, in fact. Not as sinful as most. I can just kind of hang there. But the problem with that, and, and you don't understand this until you go through it. You start going, you never just stay in one place. You either grow or you shrink. I actually did um, a little study. I was, I was wondering, where does, the, where does the word sucker come from? So I actually found it. One of the earliest English dictionaries occurred in the 1300s. It said, a sucker is a young mammal before it is weaned from its mother. It's practical, okay? It's just a... 
child needing to be fed. Okay, so that's a very practical answer. But think about the implications on a spiritual level. This is someone who's gone back to being a baby and has zero power or ability to live independently of someone else. Totally dependent. And put it even more specifically, what if that thing happens to be a deadly habit or some kind of, you know, just attraction to something that's not helpful? We'll call it sinful behavior. P.T. Barnum was famous for the, the quote, there's a sucker born every minute. I thought that's, that's kind of a negative view of humanity. Well, first of all, if we're all just kind of mammals who need to be you know, fed before we're weaned, well, then we're all suckers, of course. There's a human born every minute. Of course we are. A little later definition was in the 1800s, 1753. They finally named this particular fish who was just always swimming upstream once a year, migrating back to its breeding grounds. And uh, they were the easiest fish on earth to catch. And they just drop a line and just pull them in. I mean, literally like this. They call them suckers. Because no matter what you put in front of them, they swallow it. They're, they're in the boat, swallowed in the boat. This, and now the, that fish is still called a sucker fish. And finally, it wasn't until 1836 that they began to make the move. In the dictionary, this refers to a naive person prone to deception. I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be a sucker. But think about it. Immaturity, when we're not pressing for more of Jesus, makes us vulnerable to start looking at the lures. <laughs> Creepy, I know. <laughs> Some of us want to just kind of live there and sort of think, I can just, how do I know this? Because I've, I've been there. I'm getting older. Retirement's about 10 years away, officially, at least the money part. I don't want to take so much money out of the kingdom. I want to just live on Uncle Sam. Let you guys have the money back. So I'm thinking, you know, look, I don't have to finish like Billy Graham. I just want to finish well. I just don't want to do anything stupid. You know, if I could just kind of hang in there, but I, I'm really tired and I don't know. Can somebody else just sort of do the hard stuff for a while? I just sort of, I've been trying to hold this middle ground lately, and I'm thinking... I could just sort of, you know, just hang in there. Just show up on Sunday, put on a good show. But I began to recognize my middle was moving. It wasn't staying stationary like I hoped it would. And recognize it was going backwards. There's a word in the Bible that's similar. It's called backsliding. And I thought, shoot. That scares me. And I'm thinking, Lord, I just want to finish well. And I heard the Lord say once, in fact, it was at our pastor's conference just earlier this last week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Four score pastors met in Puyallup this year. It was awesome. The Lord had been speaking to me for a few weeks up until then, but it really nailed it at the conference through a variety of messages and worship and personal time with him. And he said, Alex, not only... Might you not finish well? You might not finish at all if you keep this up. That should put the fear of God in us. Because, you know, the, the gift of repentance is actually a gift from God. It's like that moment where you recognize you have an opportunity to get this right. It's like the iron is hot. Strike. Because that moment won't always be available. 
It's not like God gets mean suddenly, but you know, the grace and the gift of repentance is something where he sort of starts helping us capture the relevance and the meaning and the implications of this opportunity here. And if I can get things right, man, oh baby, I could really be free again instead of afraid. Maybe that's the word for some of you this morning. Maybe God's been speaking to some of you and, and you've been in this battle kind of like I have and you're just sort of going back and forth and back and forth and, and the Lord's saying, this is just a moment, really, that you have. You can capture it while things are still private between you and I. Or you can ignore it and take the chance that things might become more public where it really won't be pretty for you. Now, I'm not, again, not trying to put this fear thing, but that's the real God that I serve. That's what he allows sometimes. He said, sometimes if you're stuck, man, I'll just step back and let you have it. And let it lead where it may. Maturity is when you recognize that battle, that line, that middle will move generally backwards. There's a suction and we will become suckers if we don't deal with our issues of pressing in right now or not. Today, maturity. If I'm going to be a Christian, I've got to respond to God when he speaks. I've got to do the hard stuff and stay in my Bible and keep reading. I've got to stay in fellowship. I've got to keep serving. I've got to keep giving. And, and even though everything in me wants to go the other direction, I'm in a battle, man, and I need to win this. Because we don't just, if we, let, let me put it this way, if I don't respond on a regular basis to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I won't just get stuck. I will continue to go backwards. Jesus said, if you don't sweep out the house entirely, that demon will come back and bring seven more with it. That's reality. I'm not trying to scare anybody. You know that you've been there. We've all done this, where we kind of go back and forth and go back to old stuff, and then, ah, hopefully we flee away from it. This morning, I want to talk to you about the fact that you and I have an opportunity every moment of every day to say, Lord, okay, I'm ready to get serious. I'm ready to die to that forever. I'm ready to press into you with all I got from this day forward. I actually had a whole other page of notes, but I think that's probably all we need for today. I'll close with this. There's a parable in Luke. It's called the parable of the lost coins. Jesus is telling about this woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one of them. Now, Bible scholars say that it wasn't just a little bag of coins. She actually... Women in those days used to sew coins into their headdresses, kind of like one every inch or so, so that they would have 10 silver coins around you know, the head covering that they would wear. And it was one of those coins that had fallen out and got lost somewhere in her house. And Jesus said this woman did three things. The first thing she did was she turned on the lights. And she decided, I've got to find that coin. You and I, if you haven't been in this book, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. You're not going to find what's been taken from you, what you've lost. Second thing she did is she swept the house. She cleaned everything she could see and everything was suddenly crystal clear and clean. She moved furniture, whatever it took. This woman was not going to settle for nine-tenths of what was hers. 
hey, you still got nine silver coins, man. They're worth like $1,000 each in those days. They were very, very expensive. Man, you got $9,000. What's 9,000, 10,000, what the heck? He goes, I don't care. Whatever is mine is mine, and I'm not stopping until I find it. <laughs> Finally, she found it, and when she did, she called in all her friends who had heard the story about what she had lost, who had heard her whining, complaining, and crying out to God, and said, let's celebrate, because God has restored what was mine. You see, you and I have been given an inheritance, and we need to live our lives not for nine-tenths of it, kind of push almost to the boundary. We need to live for all of it. This is God's choice to bless this much. This is what makes heaven happy when we attain and receive all that he's promised to us. So this morning, I want to encourage you to just make a commitment to be mature. I want to be a mature Christian. When I struggle, I'm going to fight to win. When I fall backwards, I'm going to get up and fight again. Receive my forgiveness, confess it to God, and keep going forward. I'm not going to settle for anything less than ten-tenths of my inheritance in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity, Lord, to hear your voice. Thank you that you do live inside of us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking in a, a still but very clear voice. Thank you that you're a safe and gentle God that we can come to and not be afraid. Listening to God's teachings is always so exciting. We hope you have enjoyed this recording and that it has blessed you. Remember to share these messages with others you know and love. Until next time, may God bless and keep you. Here again is Pastor Kevin. Do you ever have thoughts about your purpose in life? Have you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior? Or maybe you walked away and it's time to come home. You know, really our walk with God is about a personal relationship with Him. That's what He wants. I believe that's what we want. I encourage you to take a few moments and allow this message to sink in. Allow His Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. You know, the Bible says that if we draw close to Him, that He will draw close to us. So do that today. God bless.